0: Hello and welcome to Capture Caledonia, the tracks that take us back, the podcast with me, Ewan Petrie. Each week, I'm joined by a guest who tells me all about the places in Scotland that mean the most to them and the memories and stories associated with these particular places. Then we listen to the songs that have become the soundtrack to these wonderful memories. I can't play all the songs in full due to copyright, but I hope that you enjoy the podcast nonetheless. If you are enjoying the podcast, please make sure you subscribe to it and leave us a rating and a review. You can also find us on social media. For Facebook and Instagram, just search Capture Caledonia. And for Twitter, search Capture Cali. Please like and share the pages with all your friends and family to help spread the word of Capture Caledonia and to keep up with the latest news. If you would like to support the podcast to help with future episodes, you can now donate on my Buy Me A Coffee page, which is www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Capture Any amount, no matter how small, really goes a long way. Thank you so much for your continued support and for listening to this week's episode.
1: You're listening to the tracks that take us back on Capture Caledonia with Ewan
0: Petrie. This week, I'm delighted to welcome Alan Bissett to The Tracks That Take Us Back. Alan is a playwright, a novelist, and a performer who originally hails from Falkirk. Since graduating from Stirling University with a first in English and Education, and subsequently a Master's in English, Alan has cemented his position as one of Scotland's most exciting and respected talents through his remarkable contribution to Scottish culture. As a novelist, Alan has enjoyed huge success. His debut novel, Boy Racers, which was released just over 20 years ago, and his third novel, Death of a Ladies Man, and his fourth novel, Pac Men, saw Alan shortlisted for the Scottish Arts Council Fiction of the Year Prize. Also, a celebrated playwright, Alan's plays have been performed all over Scotland, with many receiving vast critical acclaim, including Turbofolk, which was nominated for Best New Play at the Critics Awards for Theatre in Scotland, and More Moira Monologues, the sequel to the hit production, The Moira Monologues won a prestigious Fringe First Award at the Edinburgh Festival. On a more personal level, Alan also boasts winning the Glenfiddich Spirit of Scotland Writer of the Year Award in 2011. And in 2016, Alan received an honorary doctorate from the University of Stirling for his outstanding contribution to Scottish culture. Alongside these achievements, Alan has also got a street named after him in Falkirk called Bissett Court, which I think is just brilliant. Alan, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to Capture Caledonia. Hello, Ewan. It's good to see you again. Now, Alan, when I was putting together that wee introduction, it became very apparent to me that it was going to be impossible to sum up your achievements in in an introduction. And I also believe that further congratulations are in order because you've recently received a nomination for Scots Writer of the Year at the Scottish Language Awards. So congratulations. That's fantastic news. Thank you very much.
1: It's just nice that people still remember them around, actually, after 20 years you just presume that gradually you'll be forgotten and uh, people won't care anymore. (laughs) (laughs) The the young replace the old, that's what
0: happens. Uh, so, So it's nice, it's really nice. Well, you know, you have been around for 20 years, but you've got so much experience and that became evident when I was looking back at what you've done. And, you know, you've worked in all areas of the creative industries, you know, whether that's writing novels or writing for theatre, TV, film, and even performing. You know, you've performed at festivals across the world in places like New York, Toronto and Melbourne, just to name a few places. Given all of those experiences that you've had, is is there an area that you feel most at home or, or a discipline that you enjoy the most? <laughs> I would say
1: I still feel most like a novelist even although I haven't actually published a novel for 10 years I've gone back to it recently I'm writing a new novel I'd written a novella at the end of last year and that kind of gave me the hunger for writing prose again Um, and writing prose fiction was my first love that's what I wanted to do I wanted to write books and then I kind of deviated for that and ended up doing all this other stuff like writing plays and performing and doing a bit of
0: telly, but I still feel that the day job is
1: is writing books, and that's probably where I'm most happiest.
0: Was that deviation a a conscious choice, or did you sort of fall into the world of theatre? It was a combination of various different
1: things. One... I'd published four novels and I was starting to feel I was maybe running out of things to say and I was getting a wee bit bored with the form and I wanted—I didn't want to get into that habit that some writers do of churning out a book a year or every two years because they're contracted to do it or they feel that, you know, that's it's obligated that they do it. Um, I didn't want to shortchange anybody, so I just thought, well, why don't I stop for a while? And it turned into quite a long while. And once I started writing theatre, I got really excited about that and it opened up all sorts of doors and I felt really creatively enthused by it. So there was a conscious choice, but at the same time, I kind of felt in a way that I was drifting that way anyway. Because when I was performing excerpts in my novels in libraries or schools, a bit of a, I usually always tried to make it into something larger than life rather than just... You know, sometimes you'd go and see readers perform and it was just deathly dull. Like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) and he crossed the road and said, you know, know, if you're on a stage, it has to be alive. And I think that naturally lent itself to a sideways move into theatre.
0: And also performing, you know, I'm I'm lucky enough, I've worked with you, but I've also seen you perform and, you know, you look quite at home and quite natural on stage. Is is that something that you really enjoy doing as well?
1: As I, I do like being on stage, um, I think it's a lot easier if it's work that you've already written because you're inside it, you know, as you'll know, Ewan. Mm. An actor's job when they get a script from a writer is to try and find their way into the character and explore who that character is. And I know who the character is because I've written them. So I think if I was to actually take the step into acting in other people's work, I would be exposed as the charlatan that I am. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm not convinced I would be able to hold my own, uh, but... I do enjoy it when it's something that I'm in control of and I've written.
0: Now, obviously, the last 18 months have been pretty difficult for anyone who's working in the creative industries. How have you coped with having to adapt creatively in that time? And, you know, given how quickly things did just seem to grind to a halt?
1: Well, the first half of the pandemic was terrifying because all work stopped, which meant there was no income coming in. And the kids were home all day, every day, so I couldn't do any work to generate income that would be coming in. So that was pretty difficult. That was, that was scary. But also, you know, in a way, this is what I've heard other people say as well. It was nice to stop the relentless grind hmm. for a while and just pause and spend time with the kids and spend time outside going for walks and not have anything to do. So it was this weird combination of terror, wondering what the hell the future was going to have in store and kind of leisure, but it was just like, well, let's just slow things down and and, uh, try, and try and make this pleasurable. Uh, and then the second half of the pandemic was when I really got back to work because the kids were back at school and nursery, so I could actually focus. And I had the hunger for it again because it had been so long since I'd written anything. So uh, I wrote a novella uh, in the second half of last year, which was published just before Christmas called Lazy Susan. And that uh, was really well received. People liked it and I liked it and that got me back in the zone again. So I'm now writing a new novel, which is my first for 10 years. <laughs> so i gone back to writing prose again
0: as a result of the pandemic. Well, it definitely sounds like the future is uh, gonna be exciting, you know, for, for your work. And I think we should now move on to the reason that I've brought you on the show to go through your choices for the tracks that take us back. So do you m- mind uh, revealing the first place that you've chosen to talk about today and why you've chosen this place? <sighs>
1: First place is still on university campus, which I moved to in 1993 when I was still 17. I'd just left school. I'd just left Falkirk. I'd lived in Falkirk my whole life. I'd never really seen that much of Scotland outside of it. I was very, very nervous about leaving everything I'd ever known behind and starting somewhere else where I didn't know anybody at all. Completely unfamiliar environment. And um, at that time the big band who was on everybody's radar was Suede. It was just pre Britpop and post Nirvana. Nirvana, well Nirvana were quite big as well. Kurt Cobain was still alive, but Suede were uh, massively fashionable at the time. And I was kind of resisting them because they'd been so overhyped. But I thought, do you know what? I'm in this new place. I'm going to be a new person. I'm going to open myself up to new music. And I bought their first album. And I can remember playing it in my halls of residence in the room and looking out the window at the campus, listening to this strange, swooning, dramatic music. Hmm. And it, it, it seemed to kind of meld with the feeling of being somewhere different and somewhere new and somewhere that felt to me quite exotic. And uh, every time I hear this particular track, every time I hear that album, actually, but this particular track, I'm standing at that window looking out over Stirling University campus, which is a very beautiful campus, as anybody who's been there will tell you, and feeling this kind of nervous tension, but excitement about what was in store and how things were going to pan out for me in this new life. So this music seemed to symbolise newness and drama and... um, and new horizons
0: to me so it's a track called uh
1: sleeping pills
0: and it's by Swede. just before we listen to it you've, you've talked there about feeling a bit apprehensive about stepping out into this new world um knowing you now and knowing that you know you're quite confident on stage or you you certainly um give off that persona what were you like at that age, were you as confident as you are now? And and did you feel comfortable in taking that step or, or excited in it? Or was it, was it fully sort of, you know, the anticipation and nervousness of, of, of sort of experiencing something brand new? Um, Well, are any 17 year olds truly confident? (laughs) I think they all
1: do a good job of fronting, but, but teenagers are by nature very insecure and anxious because, you know, your peer group is everything. And being accepted as everything, you haven't got enough life experience to be able to say, no, no, do you know what? I am who I am. I'm going to be fine. Everything's all right. Trust in myself. You know, that that comes a bit later. But when you're 17, it's all still up for grabs. Every, you know, it could be a disaster. And because you're so emotionally fraught when you're that age, even a minor slight or a, a, a minor, uh, it's something going wrong that wasn't quite planned turns into major drama because your your emotions go up to 11. And this music actually is like that. It's very emotional and very dramatic music. And so it sort of suited my emotional stage at the time. So I wouldn't say I was like a shy retirer, but inside, like everybody else there, I was probably um, wondering who the hell I was. And you kind of go to university to discover that, don't you?
0: Absolutely. Uh, you know, that first year of uni, for me anyway, was so important, you know, for for going on to sort of, I guess, lay the foundations for what I would, you know, become. And and what was that first year like for you at Stirling?
1: It was absolute heaven. <laughs> to be honest, it was one of the best years of my life um, because I hadn't really enjoyed school. I hadn't enjoyed that. Well, I loved primary school, but I hadn't enjoyed high school as was a shark tank and I was desperate to get away from it. Because you're sort of fixed in the same place with the same people for six years. And I liked some of them, obviously. You know, I, I did have friends at school, but I was, uh, I was desperate to get away from it and kind of reinvent myself as somebody different. And uh, that's what I was able to do at uni. And I found a new friendship group and I felt accepted. And I felt uh, like my horizons were expanding. And the whole thing was just a wonderful experience. First year especially, but I enjoyed the whole undergraduate four years. But first year, you know, when you've got, you're living away from your parents for the first time and you've got money in your pocket for the first time. (laughs) No, a lot of money, but to you it's a lot of money because you've had nothing, you know. (laughs) You've gone from having absolutely nothing to suddenly there's two and a half thousand pounds in your bank account. (laughs) Now I know now that £2,500 doesn't actually last that long But you don't know that in your first few weeks of university. <laughs> so it was it was heaven, it was very freeing It was uh, just it made me the person that I am today And I've still got some of those friends
0: I think the stories you've just told you know, So many people listening are going to relate to that feeling And you've, you've already mentioned what the song is and the reasons behind it Do you mind introducing it again and we'll listen to it?
1: This is Sleeping Pills by Suede Angel
0: Excellent. Right. Where would you like to go to next on our adventure around Scotland?
1: Next is uh, Elgin. Now, this is actually in a way a similar tale because I'd went to Stirling University and get very used to Stirling University. And that felt like a very comfortable world for me after, after four years. And then you leave university and you have to get a job. And I was trained as a teacher. And I got a phone call from the rector of Elgin Academy. phoned me up and said, uh, Mr. Bissett, you've been recommended to us by your university lecturers as somebody who shows uh, good promise as as a new teacher. We have got a position here. One of our teachers has gone off on long-term sick leave. Would you like to come up and take the position? And I was like, whoa, Elgin. (laughs) Where the hell's that? <laughs> no, I I really didn't know the geography of Scotland at all, especially no anywhere further north in Stirling. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever been further north in Stirling to be quite honest. And he said, "Well, it's in the northeast," and I'm like, "Well, I need a job." Sure, why not? And I went up there in January of 1998 i just left university. This was my first job, a very responsible job. I was in charge of my own class. And any new teacher will tell you that you're running to stand still because you've got to make up new lesson plans every single day because you've got, you know, classes coming in who, if you don't hold their attention for the course of that double period, they will rip you to pieces. So you need to be all singing, all dancing, well-prepared, well-planned. And it's not like when you're an experienced teacher and you've got a whole drawer full of previous lesson plans that you can just pull it at any time. You're making it up on the on the fly, really. So I went up there and I was uh, lodging with a guy who was a a teacher at one of the other schools in Elgin. Uh, I was at Elgin Academy. He was at Elgin High. And, and so he was a very uh, kind of jolly presence and he was he was helping me settle in and give me some advice Uh, but my memory of that was getting up at six in the morning to prepare my lessons being in the school for half seven getting everything ready for the kids coming in teaching all day going home getting my dinner and then essentially either marking or preparing lessons till about 11 o'clock at night and I did that every day for six months and I've never worked as hard in my life you can only really do that when you're 22 was I 20 maybe 22 I think maybe 21, 22 Um, you can only do that when you're young and you've got energy and you've got stamina but this particular song I can remember I used to listen to the radio because I didn't know what to bring all my CDs up and stuff like that so I just used to switch the radio on and at night it would be John Peel and I wasn't even the world's biggest John Peel fan but I would have his show on at night while I was marking and I would have a wee lamplight on. Everything was dark, the outside was dark. I've just got this one lamplight and I'm trying to stay awake, marking. And this song was getting heavy rotation at that time on the radio. So whenever I hear this song, I think of myself in Elgin and I think of myself at that desk with a lamplight, you know, like exhausted <laughs> and trying <laughs> to stay awake and, and, you know, sort of using the music to, to help me concentrate and stay awake and it was again it was a really exciting time because it was my first job and it was a really nerve-wracking time because I had so much responsibility you're responsible for the education of these children and their parents are expecting a lot of you and the school is expecting a lot of you and your colleagues are expecting a lot of you and the pupils are expecting a lot of you so it's all on you and you have to be excellent and I was really up for it um, and I look back in that as a very uh, challenging time, but a time that I was really, really up for and, and and enjoyed very much.
0: You know, when you say there, you know, you're 21 or, or, you know, 22 and you've got this this job with all that responsibility, you know, that it seems so young to take a job with such responsibility. Um, I guess I've not really ever thought about, you know, how young secondary teachers can actually be. You know, you're only what? five years four or five years older than some of the pupils if you're teaching you know up to to s6 um it's it's quite amazing to think of that and i actually i think i knew that this about you because i used to live with morna young who's a playwright and i believe yes. that she was one of your pupils is that correct she wasn't
1: one of my pupils but she was a pupil ah. at Academy at that time because when right. i first met her and she's obviously a very uh, successful and famous playwright now and when i first met her she was like, Mr. Bissett. And I just thought it was an affectation that people use, you know, like I would say, oh, Mr. Petrie. And she was like, yeah, I used to teach at Elgin Academy, didn't you? And I was like, I did, I did, I She's like, I was a pupil there at the time. And I was like, well, you were only one of mine that would remember you. You never really forget your, your own class.
0: That's and uh,
1: she was like, yeah, we all remember you as the really young teacher because I was insanely young and I looked really young and all the other teachers were really old there was no <laughs> young teachers in
0: the school there was nobody there my age at all so obviously I stood out you, you talked as well about you know at that point having not been any further north than than Stirling and you end up in, in Elgin um, did you use that as an opportunity to explore any other parts of Scotland whilst you were there I mean it sounds like you didn't have an awful lot of free time but but when you did did you manage to, to get further afield
1: actually no, because I was working so hard. There was nothing outside of work. I think I went once to Lossiemouth Beach and that was pretty much it. <laughs> but what did happen was because I made friends up in Elgin, once I left, I used to go back and visit them. And because when I went back to visit them, I wasn't working. That's when I got to explore some of the area surrounding Elgin and, uh, and Murray. Which is the region that, that Elgin's in. So I know the Northeast quite well now, but when I was working there, I didn't at all because I pretty much only knew the walk from the place where I was living to the school, which was about a 15 minute walk.
0: I presume as well, you know, given the the journey that you've been on in your career since uh this moment in time, you've you've explored a lot more of Scotland since then.
1: I've been everywhere. <laughs> yeah, everywhere. I know Scotland pretty well now, but at that time I didn't at all.
0: I mean, that's something I've definitely enjoyed about working in the arts is is the freedom that you get sometimes to go off and and venture to to some of the more interesting parts of Scotland or the more remote places as well. Um, Is that something that you've enjoyed about the work that you've done since? You know, somebody asked me once, what is the
1: best thing about being a writer? And I said, the travel. (laughs) And they looked at me like, what do you mean? Because if you're a writer, surely you're just sitting at home writing all the time. And that is obviously part of it. But no, you get to travel all over the place because you get invited to book festivals and libraries and schools and prisons and you take these invitations partly because you want to be able to promote yourself and your work and partly because it's paid but also partly because you want to see what that place is like so i've seen any number of places in scotland just from accepting invitations to go there it really is one of the best parts of being a creative person
0: is that you get to see places you would never go otherwise and just to go back to to Elgin, you talked briefly about um, why, you know, this, this, maybe this particular song and the fact that you were, you were listening to mu- to music to help you get through the work that you were doing at that moment in time. Do you mind revealing exactly the song that you've chosen and we'll listen to it now?
1: Yes. Um, and actually it's a curious one because I'm not even that fussed about the artist or the band that he came from. I mean, I like them, but I'm no, I'm not a particular fan, but I do like this song, and it does remind me of this very specific time and place. And it is My Star by Ian Brown. Lost the space, lost the
0: So we've had the Stirling University campus, we've had Elgin. Where have you saved for your last choice today, Alan? The last
1: choice is the West End of Glasgow, specifically Gibson Street, uh, because there's a coffee shop there. I've actually forgotten the name of the coffee shop, (laughs) but I used to be in there all the time because I moved to the West End of Glasgow and I lived there for maybe about five years and then I moved to the South Side. And... I really, really loved it there. I'd always wanted to live in a city. I'd always wanted to live in Glasgow because it seemed like such a creatively exciting place. There was so much going on. You know, there's great music, great writers from there, great filmmakers, great actors, great comedians. You know, Glasgow is just this massive engine of creative energy. And I'd always wanted to go there. And finally, I got the chance to go there because a post came up as lecturer in creative writing at Glasgow University. So I took it and I moved into the West End of Glasgow. And at that time, I was still, oh God, I was still in my 20s, I think. And my career was starting to take off. I'd had two novels out and they both found an audience and been well-reviewed. So things were starting to pick up for me, doing the dream job that I'd always wanted to do, which was to be a novelist. It was actually happening. And I was making headway with it and I was still young enough to really appreciate it and feel enthused and excited and feel like I had momentum and I was on the way up. I mean, any artist will tell you, when you're breaking through and you're on the way up, it's the best feeling in the world because you've wanted it for so long and you've worked for it for so long. You've thrown everything into it. In order to be a successful artist of any kind, whatever it is, you know, an actor, a a musician, you know, even a a stagehand. You need to give yourself to it. You need to be consumed by it. It needs to be all you're focused on or it's not going to happen. And I was starting to have some success and I was really happy at that time. Uh, know that the rest of my life has been unrelenting misery or anything like that. You know, I'm, I'm a fairly happy chappy. But that time in particular, I just felt golden. I just felt like things were happening for me and everybody was was paying me attention. And none of the downsides of, um, I don't want to say fame, because I never became very, very famous in the way that you know very, very famous people are. But I was getting some attention, that's for sure. And none of the downsides had kicked in. At all at that time, it was only the upsides. And I just, in my memory, remember it being sunny every day, even though it wasn't because it's Glasgow, you know, so of course it's no sunny <laughs> every day. But it felt like a giant playground. I was going to see bands at night and I was hanging about with really interesting people. And I had money because I had this lecturing job and I liked the students and, you know, I liked uh, my colleagues. Glasgow University was a really cool place to work. The West End of Glasgow has got a real buzz about it. You know, it was just a great,
0: great time of my life. You talked there about the um, the sort of attention that comes with starting to, to get noticed. Before this happened for you, is that something that you craved? And then when you had it, how did you respond to, to that sort of happening around you?
1: Well, yeah, of course. Of course you craved it. Because... If you're a writer, now I'd been writing since I was a child, since I was in primary school. And I'd always wanted to be a writer. When people said, would you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to write books. So my first novel was published when I was 25, which I now look back on and realise is actually quite young. Although I didn't think it was that young at the time. <laughs> but that was still 20 years of craving, you know, and 20 years of working towards it. So I was desperate for it. And I got a book published and and people liked it. And I did another one and people liked that. And I thought, I'm on a roll here. Um, How did I deal with it? To be honest, it wasn't that difficult to deal with until much, much later. It only became difficult to deal with around about the time of the independence referendum. And that was mainly because I got myself involved in politics, which brings a whole different kind of attention and a whole different kind of heat and scrutiny and I was really active on Twitter, which didn't help, you know. Um, that was really the only time it started to become uncomfortable, and I thought, actually, I don't know if I like this anymore. But um, when I was a bit younger, and certainly when I was I was hanging about in Glasgow uh, and working at Glasgow Uni, and, and I think I was writing my third novel, Death of a Ladies Man, at the time, and actually you can sort of feel the energy of my life in that period in the book, because the character in the book, who isn't exactly the same as me, I should point out, because he's a total dirty shagger. <laughs> the character in that book is going to see loads of bands and um, is getting off his face all the time and, you know, skipping about and wearing skinny jeans and, you know, guy liner. And that's what I was doing at that time. I was experimenting. It was a really experimental time, that period of my life. And it was also run about the time that um, I met my partner, who I'm still with, Kirsten, um, and we're, we've now got two kids, what is it, 14, 15 years later. Um, so obviously you're meeting somebody and falling in love, add that into it. It just, uh, I think back in my memory, and everything is rainbow-coloured in that period.
0: You've also spoken about the the creative energy that a city like Glasgow can bring. Did you immerse yourself in that as soon as you moved there?
1: Oh, 100%. I really did. I was going to see shows all the time. And um, I tried not to just have too many nights just sitting in myself. Obviously, you have to do that sometimes. But I tried to get out there and experience the city because I'd wanted to live there for so long. You know, why live there and no immerse yourself in it? It's there to be immersed in. And I think that period that you have in your life when you're, when you're young and you don't have kids... And you've got a bit of money, and you've got no real responsibility. Well, obviously, I did in my job, but beyond that, um, that is really when you should just live large. You know, just go for it. That's the memories that you're going to look back on when you're old and pissing yourself. No, <laughs> you, know, you don't look back in all the nights that you spent. Uh, you know, doing your tax return. <laughs> you know, you look you look back in all the great bands that you saw and the the nights that you spent having just
0: a great laugh and you didn't get in until four in the morning and you could spend the next day hungover because you didn't have anything to do. In a city like Glasgow you know it's just it's just the best for for experiencing that that side of a city and and also it's a place where there's a real diversity of people and it's also very affordable so you know because I, I came from Glasgow having been in London for a while and it just felt you know totally different um, and just so much fun.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, you move to Glasgow for a reason, because there's so many other creative people there and it's just a very exciting place to live.
0: Yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent. Um, I don't think you've mentioned the song that you've chosen or particularly why you chose this song. So do you mind talking a bit about that for us? Yes.
1: So I was on Gibson Street and I was in the coffee shop there, which is just before the bridge. You know, just before you go to the underground station. Uh, I wish I could remember what it was called I was in there all the time as well and I used to go there and write and I was in there and I was writing I think Death of a Ladies Man and a song came on and I stopped and I listened to this song and I was like, God, that song's brilliant and I asked the guy who worked there, I was like, did you put this song on? and he said, yeah I said, what is it? and he said, it's by MGMT it's called Time to Pretend and I went out and got it, I can't remember if I downloaded it, if downloads were a thing at that time, or if I bought the CD single, Um, but I thought, I have to own that, and I used to listen to it over and over, and so it reminds me of that period, because I can remember where I was when I first heard it, but also, if you listen to the lyrics, it's pretty much the life I was leading at the time, so I could relate to it as well, so that's, uh, it just reminds me of one of the best times of my life, and it's Time to Pretend by MGMT.
0: Just before we give it a listen, I just want to say a massive thank you, Alan, for coming on the show today and giving me your time and also taking us on a journey through these brilliant choices that you've made and and allowing us to listen to the songs that accompany these fantastic memories. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Ewan. It's been a pleasure.
1: listening to the tracks that take us back on capture
0: caledonia with you and petrie thank you so much for listening to capture caledonia the tracks that take us back if you're enjoying the podcast please remember to subscribe and to leave us a rating and a review please also go on social media and like and share the pages with all your friends and family a little reminder that on facebook and instagram just search capture caledonia and on twitter search capture cali go on like, share, post, comment about it, and help spread the word of Capture Caledonia. If you want to support the podcast, remember you can go on to my Buy Me A Coffee page, www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Capture Cali. Any amount that you can afford to donate to support the podcast will really go a long way and help to ensure that we can keep the podcast going in the future. Thank you so much for your continued support, and I look forward to seeing you next week.